Well, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our mission statement here is that Zion, God's love works in and through his people. And to be honest, it's kind of a weird mission statement as mission statements go. But it's our mission statement because we kind of think that's how the church works. That God works in here, in us, so that he can work through us out there. In fact, it's kind of how we think the Christian life works, too. That God works in our hearts so that he can work through our words and through our actions out in the world. In other words, we believe here that Sunday connects to Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Everything else that you do in your life connects to here. What happens here, the Word of God that's proclaimed here, and the sacraments that are received here. And what it means is, as you leave here, whether it's out to the the ministry center or into your car or your home or your work or your school or wherever you're headed, God has work for you to do. And we're focusing on that in our sermon series, God at Work, right now. And the work for this morning that we're going to talk about is the work of evangelism. It can be a kind of intimidating task for us as Christians. But I think John chapter 1 has something to say to us about what we do in our work of evangelism, what our job is, and what our job isn't as well. And so what I want to do this morning with you guys is walk through this reading in John chapter 1. We're going to take it in three chunks, and we're going to see what God has to say to Philip and to Nathaniel, and then also to us. So let's, uh, let's jump right in. Oh, I go backwards every time with this thing, guys. Sorry. It's going to happen three times at least uh, this morning. So you'll see this again in a minute. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip. He found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Now, it's a pretty short and simple verse, but there's some profound stuff in this. For one thing, one really interesting thing to look at in this reading is who finds whom. Anytime John is talking, the narrator is talking, it's always Jesus finding other people, or Jesus using other people to find other people. Philip gets it wrong in just a minute. We'll see that just a little bit in our next part of the reading. But Jesus is always finding people in this reading in the Gospel of John. It's Jesus who finds Philip, not the other way around. And when he does, he does something else and something important. He says two very simple words that change everything about Philip's life. Follow me. If Jesus hadn't said those words, nobody would know who Philip is. He wouldn't be in the Bible. He wouldn't be a disciple. But Jesus changes everything about Philip, and it's with his word that Philip's life is changed. That's how God operates for us, too. It's the word of God that changes our life. Now, if you're fairly new to the Christian faith, and you're fairly new to church, the the word of God might have sounded an awful lot like the word of a trusted friend or a pastor or relative, somebody through whom God spoke to you brought you here so he could form you and shape you with his word. But for a lot of us, the word of God came to us a lot earlier in kind of a different way. It wasn't so much spoken to us as it was spoken over us, joined with water in our baptism. And it sounded like the pastor saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's where Jesus found you. Not that you were lost to him, But those words from Amazing Grace, it's a great hymn. It's one of my favorites. 
And those words from Amazing Grace are beautiful. I once was lost, but now I'm found. God found you at your baptism. Because, see, you were baptized into the death and the resurrection of Jesus. You were baptized into forgiveness and life and salvation. You were baptized into the family of God. And that means that you were changed. Just like Philip, you were different when the Word of God was combined with the water and you were brought into the family of God. And just like Philip, that means that God has a job and a purpose for you. Just like Philip, it means that you have work to do. And we're going to see the work that Philip does here in just a second. So this is the next piece. Oh, I got it right. It's a good day, you guys. (laughs) Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. This is a great piece of this reading. It's a great piece of this reading. And don't miss the beginning of verse 45. Philip found Nathanael. He's already doing the work of God. Philip is doing for Nathanael what Jesus just did for Philip. Through Philip, Jesus finds Nathanael. Philip is doing the work of God already. And and look at what it looks like for Philip. Really, Philip does two things, and that's it. First thing he does is he shares his joy. His joy at the end of verse 45 is unmistakable. We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, he gets it a little bit wrong there. Jesus found him, right? But... Don't miss his joy. For 1,400 years, since Moses wrote all this stuff down in the Torah, for 1,400 years, we've been looking for this guy. And Nathaniel, we finally found him. He's here. The Messiah has come. Philip shares his joy with Nathaniel. And when he does, he's met with, probably for most of us, kind of the worst nightmare scenario when you think about evangelism. If Philip's joy is unmistakable, then Nathaniel's cynicism is unmistakable too. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He's not just cynical, he's maybe even sarcastic when he comes back at Philip. It's kind of a nightmare scenario for evangelism, but notice what what Philip doesn't do. He doesn't run away, he doesn't argue with Nathaniel, he doesn't tell Nathaniel why Nathaniel's wrong, he doesn't tell Nathaniel why Philip's right, he doesn't do any of that stuff. He says something very simple. Come and see. He shares his joy, and he invites other people to share in that joy. And that's what evangelism is. You know, evangelism can be intimidating because very often people will say stuff like, I just don't know very much. I don't know my Bible very well. I don't know our theology very well. If people ask me questions, I don't know how I'm going to answer them. And I learned in seminary that that's not how evangelism works, but not in the way that you normally learn stuff in seminary. So when you think of learning stuff in school in general, you think of maybe a professor lecturing and you're taking notes and stuff like that. I did that stuff. I was good at that stuff. We took this test in, uh, in my first uh, practical theology class. Some people think that's an oxymoron, by the way, practical theology, <laughs> but it is sometimes practical. It was called pastoral ministry, and the last question on this test was a scenario, and the scenario was this. You're a pastor, 
And you've gone to this dinner party. It's at a lake house. You came to the lake house on a boat, and you're leaving on a boat. And as you're leaving on a boat, and the boat is pulling away from the dock, this, this guy who doesn't come to church uh, says to you, Hey, pastor, what's so great about being in church all the time? And the point was, as the boat is pulling away, you've got about 15 seconds or so to answer the question. What do you say? So I was good at the studying stuff, right? And I knew all the stuff that, that he, he'd been teaching throughout the entire semester. And I went, all right, 15 seconds. I got to put it all in there. So the death and the resurrection of Jesus was in there. The importance of the sacrament was in there. The fact that God works through his word was in there. The mutual conversation and consolation of the brothers and sisters in Christ was in there. That just means we talk to each other about Jesus. All that stuff was in there. I crammed it all into a 15-second answer. It was a real concise answer. And I got my test back, and as you can probably imagine, I didn't do very well on that question. And I, I looked at my answer, and I was like, man, I got everything in there that we were taught, all the important stuff that the professor was trying to— I, I demonstrated knowledge. That's what you're supposed to do on a test, right? And my friend was sitting next to me as I was complaining about the, the grade I got on this particular question. And the academic side of seminary was not necessarily his favorite part of seminary, put it that way. And uh, I said, what did you get? How did you do? And he, uh, he said, well, I, I did okay on that question. And I said, well, what did you write? And uh, he got this sheepish grin on his face. And he let me see his, his uh, paper. You know what he wrote? Come and see. Come to church and find out. Because remember, the question was, what's so great about being at church? Come and see. <laughs> it burned me at the time. <laughs> but it was a great answer. It was the perfect answer. It's exactly what you should say in a situation like that. And it taught me something far more important than, than much of the other stuff that I learned at seminary, which is that evangelism is not about knowing everything. It's about knowing your joy for what you're doing. You have joy in what you're doing here in church. You know how I know? You're here this morning, and the temperature gauge out there said negative nine when I was sitting in my office. You must have joy because you came today, right? God brought you here. So have joy, share your joy, and invite other people into it. That's all evangelism is. There's a lot of stuff that it's not. And John tells us something about that as well. So here's the next bit. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him. And he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip call, called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Nathaniel was lost, and now he's found. And notice how he's found. It's the word of Jesus. Just like it happened with Philip, so also it happens with Nathaniel. It's the word of Jesus that changes everything. One thing that Jesus tells Nathaniel is that he never lost him. I saw you back when you were under the, tr uh, under the fig tree. Now, some people think that means earlier in the afternoon, but some people think that under the fig tree is a metaphor for how you learned the Torah when you went to Torah school. 
In other words, Jesus would be saying here to Nathaniel, years ago I knew you. Long ago I knew you. Jesus never lost Nathaniel. He knew exactly what was going to happen. And look at what happens here. Nathaniel goes from a complete cynic, complete skeptic, even sarcastic about Jesus, to one of the most full and robust confessions of faith in the Gospel of John. You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. It's exactly what John says we're supposed to say. We sang it just before, remember? These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's what Nathaniel confesses right here. And it's important for us to see what the work of Jesus is. It's Jesus who brings Nathaniel to faith. It's Jesus who changes Nathaniel's heart. It's Jesus who changes Nathaniel's mind. Paul talks about it this way. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the growth. That change is not up to you, and it's not up to me. That's the job of Jesus. It's not our responsibility to do those things. It's not our responsibility to change hearts. It's not our responsibilities to, responsibility to change minds. And there's a very simple test to prove to you that that's true, that you're not responsible for those things even when you feel like it. If you ever feel like you're responsible for those things, do something very simple. And let's do it right now. Take your hand. Find a light in the ministry center someplace. Take, it, take your hand and find a light in the ministry center. Hold your hand up in front of the light and close one eye like this. All right, so you're holding your hand up, you're covering the light, and you're closing one eye. Can you see the light shining through your hand? No? You know why? Because you're not the Savior. You weren't crucified. It's not your job to change hearts. It's not your job to convert people. It's not your job. That's Jesus's. It's the Word of God that does that and nothing else. God may use you, and that's a beautiful thing. He may use you to do that, but it is not your job to change hearts. And do you see how freeing that is? Look what Jesus says about Nathaniel. He says about Nathaniel, Nathaniel, I knew your past. And at the end of the reading here, he says, I also know your future. I know where you came from. I know where you're going. And he knew all the time that Philip was going to come into his life and that after Philip did, he was going to speak his word and change Nathaniel's life too. And if he knew that about Nathaniel, that means he knew it about you and he knows it about the people that you're worried about, the people that you're praying for, the people that you're talking to, the people that you're sharing your joy with. He knows it about all of those people. And that's a freeing thing, to know that all you do is share your joy and invite people into it. Evangelism really means being a vessel. It means being a vessel for the most important thing that there is. It means being sort of this cup that God's love is poured into and that God's love is also poured out of. And in the pouring out, it means being part of the most beautiful thing that's ever happened. God's plan to save the world. Amen. Now may the peace of God that passes all understanding guard our hearts and our minds, keeping them steadfast in Christ Jesus. Amen.